Good morning. Happy post-Thanksgiving. So glad you guys are here and you made it, right? Um, I, uh, I assume that we have a lot of people still on vacation, uh, still recovering. Hopefully you guys um, had a great time together with family and um, you got into the gym, work off some of that stuffing. Um, so glad you guys are here. My name is Josiah. I'm one of the pastors on staff and uh, it's just my joy to be able to bring God's word for us this morning. Um, before we get into the passage, um, just a little bit of family business that I wanted to um, start with. And, um, you know, we're jumping in pretty quickly uh, to Christmas season, right? The holiday season is already upon us. I can't believe it. Um, but we're here and Thanksgiving has passed. Next week starts Advent. Um, and uh, it, that, that just came up like out of nowhere to me. And uh, normally... Uh, something we really planned for months in advance, and then last week I was like, holy cow, uh, two weeks in Advent starts, so um, here we are. And um, I'm saying all of this to say because I know we just get into a busy routine, and honestly, the one thing um, that for our culture becomes second um, at best for many of American culture is the church, um, is our commitment to the church body. And, uh, and so, um, just as family this morning, I want to just encourage us um, and also kind of highlight a, a little bit about where we're at, uh, for, uh, strictly on a financial basis right now. And I got a little snapshot. No, we don't have the Connect Guides, um, Pastor Ryan. Sorry about that. Katie, I was apologizing. I wasn't going to call you out, but you just went ahead and said sorry. So, um, it's okay. Um, holidays, and it was really tough. We had to pick them up Tuesday. Um, which is way out of our schedule. So uh, I did a little snapshot. Of, this is every week we have this in our Connect Guide, so you guys can always stay up to date um, where we're at financially. Um, but just so you, you guys know, man, God has been so gracious, so good, so faithful to this church. You guys have been so faithful in your commitment to this church, and I'm so grateful, so grateful. And I want, to, I want us to continue. Let's, let us not give up, Right? Let us continue on that path of faithfulness. Um, but every week you can see what our goals are. Um, these are our budgeted goals. Um, fairly conservative, um, honestly. Um, but you see what we need monthly. That's really the big thing, that center one that we want to look at. Um, that monthly goal, um, what we need to just operate as a ministry. So right now, November, we're at the end of the month, and we're just about halfway, right? So... Um, I want to encourage you as we continue into this time, this season, don't give up, right? Don't, um, don't allow the church, the body, to become second, to become um, a, an afterthought. But would you continue in your faithfulness to the church? Would you continue in your generosity to the church so that we might continue the ministry of downtown? The work here is too good. The work here is too important. And so may we continue in that faithfulness um, as we continue into this time and into Advent. So with that, we're continuing in the book of Hebrews. And Ryan, did you already start the timer for me? Perfect, thank you so much. Um, we're continuing the book of Hebrews, and um, we are in chapter 8 today as we just read. And man, the author of Hebrews has been unpacking for us some rich stuff 
Uh, we've been doing our very best to pull out all the nuggets we can in the limited time that we have here on a Sunday morning. Most recently, the author is talking about how much greater the new covenant is in comparison to the old covenant. And specifically, the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about Jesus as our high priest. How much greater and perfect Jesus is as a high priest compared to the Levitical priesthood. And this morning, we continue in that subject. And I, too, at first, was a little annoyed that I have to further unpack this subject. But as quickly as that came into my mind, that's just me being honest, as quickly as that came into my mind, even quicker was I reminded that we are incapable of exhausting this subject. Maybe be reminded of that as we come to it again and we search It is important, and it is vital, and it is um, not only that, but it is, um, it's important that we would mine, it is fitting that we would mine out the truth of this uh, passage this morning, right? So we believe that God has something new for us, that God has something for us to speak to, that we might acknowledge, to know, or continue in. And if you've been at all a little bit confused about Melchizedek, the priesthood, and what's going on, author of Hebrews, whoever you are, what are you talking about, right? Um, Well, good news. He tells us in verse 1 what the point is. Let's read it. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of a throne Uh, right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. The chief point, the chief point in everything that the author of Hebrews is saying is we have such a high priest. What kind of high priest do we have? A perfect high priest. The verse previous to what uh, verse 1 here in in, uh, chapter 7, 28, the law appoints men in their weakness as high priest, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. And we have such a high priest. One who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. The, the resurrected Jesus has ascended into heaven and has taken his rightful place at the throne. Why is Jesus seated? Go ahead, answer me. Why is Jesus seated? It is finished. It is finished. It is done. Right? It is done. The work of purchasing our redemption, justifying us before God, sealing our salvation for all eternity is finished. And Jesus has seated himself. No earthly priest ever sat down for his ministry. When he was at service in the Holy of Holies, he never sat. He stood before a symbol of God's throne, the mercy seat on top of the Ark of the Covenant. But Jesus takes his rightful place on that throne. He is the perfected high priest. He's a minister, as it says here. The priest lives, he committed his life to serve the people. He committed his life to serve on behalf of the people, and Jesus is no different. You know, but you just said, Josiah, that it's finished, it's done. The work of the cross is is completed, so what, what is Jesus doing? What's his ministry? What is... What, what is he doing up in heaven on the throne? Jesus serves as the mediator. 
This word has, the author has been kind of dancing around this word up until this point, but in this passage he introduces it for the first time. I believe it's in verse 6. Yeah, in verse 6. He introduces this in mediator. um, He serves as the mediator of man and God. Another way of saying this is that he is our advocate. 1 John uh, chapter 2, verse 1 helps us understand this. I think it's on the screen for us. He says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. So John is saying very clearly, I'm writing to you very first and foremost so that you might not sin. So that you would not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now notice here that John doesn't um, first say, if anyone sins, then his sins are forgiven. He does go on to say that, but the first thing he says is, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. We have an advocate. He is the righteous one. This is important because Jesus is not just an upright lawyer making a case for us to God. He is the righteous one that God sees. John Piper sees this. Uh, He says this, The advocacy of Jesus is the ongoing presentation of the reality established at the cross and through faith and by the Spirit. God the Father doesn't just look back at the cross. He looks straight ahead into the face of the living, righteous Jesus Christ, who is our righteousness and is our life and is our purchase and payment. Amen. Jesus' advocacy is one in which it is embodied. He is the argument. He is our justification. And we, hidden in Christ, we are hidden in Christ, should we put our faith in Him. So what does this mean? It means that if you sin, you are not condemned before God. Good news for all of us. You are not condemned. This is the effectiveness of Jesus' priesthood. This is the potency of His priesthood. So are you coming in this morning, and the question right off the bat is, do you come in badgered by your sin? Do you come in weighed down by your sin, Christian? Are you haunted by the things that you have done? Well, the truth of the gospel is that you don't need to be, because in Christ, as your perfect high priest, He serves as an advocate so that you may not be condemned before the Father. We can come this morning knowing this, Romans 8.32 Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Is it God who justifies? Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, more than that, He's the one who died. But more than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us? You have such a high priest. He is in heaven. He is seated next to the Father on the throne of majesty. And He is ministering His perfect work on the cross that still, to this day, is effective. That cross, that work on the cross is still effective to this day for all who believe. And continues in verse 3. For, so this is assigning reason for calling him a minister in the holy places, for every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. So pause real quick. This is actually really good and important. It kind of serves as a timestamp for us to understand that in this 
as he's writing this, there are still people that are serving um, in the tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies, as priests. And he tells them this, they serve a copy and a shadow. A copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. Jesus has something for us. He does offer something for us like any high priest, but he offers something better. Quick pop quiz. Um, so, who was... Um, how many people were allowed into the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle? One. One. Everybody agree? One. How often were they allowed into the Holy of Holies? Once a year. Once a year, right? These priests would enter into the Holy of Holies to make an annual sacrifice. It was blood that was required for, um, for the sin of the people. It was demanded because a penalty was demanded. For a sin. That penalty is justly death. The just penalty for sin is death. Justly, our sin could not just be swept under the rug, it had to be paid for. And Jesus became that perfect and effective, but potent and permanent sacrifice for us. We aren't going to talk all about the tent today because we're going to kind of gloss over it for next week, actually deals with it more in depth. And so for the sake of that, we're kind of glossing over. So forgive me on some of these verses here that talk about the tent and what Moses was instructed. But um, most importantly here, most importantly is that Jesus walked into the Holy of Holies and he is not returning. He's not walking back out. For God established the tent, not man. God established the better tent. Ryan explained last week how it's, it was forbidden for a king and uh, a, a king to become a priest, right? Because it just became too convoluted and a little too messy. And, but Jesus has shown us that he is both in his kingship perfect and also perfect in his priestliness. And he did this by becoming the perfect sacrifice. He did what the priest couldn't do. In all of their service, in all of their years, in all the years of the Levitical priesthood, Jesus became the king, the priest, and the sacrifice. This is why he is the perfected priest. He didn't come, or excuse me, yeah, he didn't come to um, abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. And his ministry is never ending. Verse 6 and 7, let's take a look at this. Read it again. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. Christ's ministry is proportionately greater as the covenant to which he uh, as the covenant to which it is based on. Christ's ministry is proportionately greater as the covenant to which it is based on. His ministry is that of mediator, meaning his job is to come between God and man and to carry into effect God's promises to us. This is what it means to be a mediator. Now remember, when we talk about 
the first and the old covenant. We're talking about the Mosaic law. There were a lot of laws, or a lot of covenants. Um, and the Mosaic covenant is specifically what we're talking about here. And it wasn't a bad law, just because it was an old law. Remember, who, who made the law? Who, or, excuse me, covenant. Who made the covenant? God. God established the covenant. So it wasn't a bad covenant, because it was an old one. But yet, it did have its flaws, as he said here. It's not without flaws in verse 7. Sorry, my thing keeps jumping around and I keep losing my place. Great, I'm back. Sorry. It's not a bad law because it's an old law. Covenant. Not a bad covenant because it's an old covenant. What's interesting here is that the author implies that the gospel for today is actually founded on the law. When he says that it was enacted, this is a legal term that it was established in legal principles, right? So it was enacted on better promises. But it's not the same kind of law, although it was established and founded on the law. It's not the same kind of law. Romans 3.27 tells us, then what becomes of our boasting? Is it excluded? By what kind of law? By a law of works? No. But by the law of faith. Romans 8.2 For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. 2 Corinthians 2 tells us that we are ministers not of a letter for the letter kills, but we are ministers of the Spirit which gives life. So although the law or the gospel was built and established on the shoulders of the old covenant underneath the law, it is, this, it is in the Spirit, or the essence, of the second, new, and better covenant under Christ. So let me say that again. Although the gospel was built on the shoulders of the old covenant under the law, it is in the Spirit, or the essence, of the second, new, and better covenant under Christ. Pastor Ryan reminded us last week that there was no plan A, plan B for God, right? No, the... From the foundation of the world, Christian, you were chosen. You were chosen by God. And you are His. He knew the best course of action to take. And He went after you to save you and to keep you for all eternity. Think of a teacher. Some of you are teachers and looking around, right? Think of a teacher who um, gives elementary type of curriculum in order to allow the student to grow into a higher form of education, right? It starts with a more elementary type of um, education. Or maybe a doctor who at first prescribes a diet, but as the, as the patient recovers, he begins to remediate that prescription and allow certain things to be eaten that were once forbidden. This is the same thing. That one was not bad previously, but in the new, in the new covenant, the former is obsolete, as we'll see. Question though, do you view God as some type of tyrant that Jesus is shielding us from? Some type of bully that Jesus is constantly going to our defense? And is he is Jesus twisting God's arm? In this whole process as our mediator? No. No, that's certainly not the case. Do not forget 
that God sent His only Son, God sent His only Son to draw us to Himself and adopt us as His sons and daughters. Don't forget that these are God's promises that to us, Jesus is carrying them. Jesus carries these promises to us as our, as our mediator. These promises were legally and justly established so that we might know God intimately. It's absolutely true that apart from Jesus, His work on the cross, the power of the Spirit, we have no access to the Father. But in Christ, hear this, in Christ, we have direct access to the Father. Jesus Himself says this. In John 16, He says, The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech. I've said, these things, sorry, I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and believed that I came from God. Jesus warns us not to make his mediation something that's not. In essence, he's saying... Don't let me get in the way. You have direct access to the Father. What does it mean for Jesus to be a perfect high priest? A perfect sacrifice? It means that he fulfilled with the Mosaic covenant under the law what the priest could not, giving us sinners access to the Father directly. And this covenant, though, again, although not bad, was faulty, as he says in verse 7. But look where he places the blame. Verse 7 says this, For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he, God, finds fault with them, Israel, when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel. And with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed them no concern, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. They shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. The fault was not truly in the covenant itself, but in us to keep it. The problem was not that God came up with a bad set of rules, it's that we could not adhere to those rules. But God remained faithful. May we see that in even this passage. This is taken from Jeremiah 31. Even in this passage, God remains faithful. And he says that because the old covenant, it was, if you obey my commands, then I will um, bring you into the, the promised land. I will fulfill the promises I have for you. But if you do not, surely you will die, right? Along those lines. And he says here, they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. So he was faithful. Even in his covenant. But even in the midst of this covenant, he speaks a better promise to us. He speaks a better promise. Being rich in mercy, he took 
Israel by the hand. I love that. It speaks of this paternal care that God had. Even in the midst of Israel's waywardness. He took them by the hand as a father takes the hand of a child to lead them and instruct them. And he gives them this better promise. And I want to finish by giving those, these three uh, better promises in the new covenant for us. The first one is in verse 10. These will be found in 10, 11, and 12. The first one in 10, I'll read it again. For this is the new covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. We couldn't keep the law because we didn't have what it takes. What does it take? The Spirit of God. We just sang it in a song uh, a little bit ago that I may be weak, but your spirit is strong in me. This is an understanding of us and ourselves. We don't have what it takes, but God, your spirit is strong in me, so I can have faith. I can believe for the future. The law of the letter dealt with everything external. The old covenant dealt with everything external. What I said, what I did with my hands, where I went, what I abstained from. But the new covenant deals with everything internal. What I believe, what I trusted, what I hope in, where I put my faith. Jesus came to fulfill the law which we could not by hitting all of the externals. He did them perfectly. And thereby to point us to a greater reality by showing us we could not do the externals because there was nothing in our hearts that would want to do the externals. You following? Jesus hit all of the marks externally. He fulfilled the law. He didn't come to abolish it. He fulfilled it. He did it all. So that we might see that the reason we couldn't is because we didn't have a heart for God. And so God had to give us a new heart. God had to give us a new heart. God, who used to write His laws to His people, He now writes them on their hearts so that they can obey Him. He gives both the objective and the means to get there. He tells you, here's what you ought to do, and here's how you're going to do it. By me and me only. This is good news for us. Do you want to learn to obey God? You must have a new heart. Do you want to trust God? God has to give you a new heart, a heart that wants to follow Him, a heart that wants to know Him. We are in Christ able to keep God's law because His Spirit is in us. The second promise is fellowship with God. Found in verse 11, he says, They shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. Not only now are we able to obey God, but through learning to obey, we get to know him. Jesus learned obedience through suffering. Back in chapter 5, we saw this. Jesus learned obedience. So through learning to obey Him, we get to know Him. We get to see Him. We get to see Him for who He truly is by putting our trust in Him and learning through the suffering of the day in and the day out grind. And guess what? We have a good teacher. 
We have a good teacher. Under the old covenant, the priest's lips, they were to keep the knowledge. And the people were to find the law from the priest's mouth. But in the new covenant, the Spirit of God teaches every believer. Direct access to the Father. John 16, 13 through 15, Jesus says this to his disciples. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. But mutual teaching is not excluded. And we see that here in the text as well. So he's not saying that, well, it's just me and my Bible, me and the Holy Spirit, man. Just me and Jesus, we're going to be good. Right? So there are many, I think, that have that type of um, understanding of the faith. That as long as I have Jesus, what else do I need? But you can't really escape the affirmation and the encouragement and the directness of the New Testament in regards to teaching, mutual teaching. Obviously, we believe that because I'm standing up here today and you're here, right? That we believe that we must teach each other, right? So what's he saying? The main point is this. No human can convict you of your sin. No human can convict you of your sin. The Holy Spirit is such a good teacher... He does not allow us to stay in our sin. No. Through dependence by prayer and careful attention to what He is speaking, we overcome our sin. We grow up in the faith. Not to become more independent, right? A lot of times we think as a child grows, they just learn to be more independent. A lot of ways that is true. But in the faith, we don't grow to be more independent. Actually, the exact opposite. We grow to deeper dependency. We go to a deeper level of dependency because we learn to know the Lord. We learn to know His mind and His heart. And we understand that His will is good and His heart is good. He's a good Father. The things that He instructs us to do are not for uh, so that we would be, um, what's the word? We're confined or, can't think of the word. That's okay. But they're good for us. Right? They're meant for our flourishing and for our oppressive. They're not oppressive. There it is. I got it out. That'll help me sleep at night. But through this dependency, we will know Him. And because we know Him, we will want to follow Him into le- deeper levels of dependency. And good news, there will be a day when we will all be fully taught. Right? Ultimately, this is what it's telling us. Right? When He says... Each one to his brother saying, Know the Lord. They will not say that, for they, they shall all know me. We will know him, for we will see him as he truly is, as Revelation tells us. When the Holy Spirit has fully taught the remission of sin and inward sanctification, there will be no need for mutual teaching. There will be no need. Until then, we teach each other all along the way, but with grace-filled hearts and with tenderness. And with gentleness. Third point. The third greater promise that we have in the New Covenant is this here in in Jeremiah 31. Full forgiveness. In verse 12. I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. 
No more. Can I get an amen? Right. Amen. There is such a depth to this point that we don't have time to cover right now. But the good news is, the author is going to unpack this so eloquently in the next few chapters. So well, and and so, so look forward to that. We don't have time to go over all of it, but um, there, there's something we, we should glean here from this. Um, first thing is that, what does he mean when he says, I will remember their sins no more? Does God forget about our sins? I certainly hope not. I hope that God doesn't forget about anything. Or he is God. He is all-knowing. There's nothing that slips his mind, right? So what's he saying here? What this here is, is, is simply, it's human words put um, into the text so that we might better understand God. So that we might better understand who He is. The word for this is a long word you don't really need to remember, but it's anthropomorphic language. Okay, it's, a, it's, it's a thing that all it is is just human language so that we might better understand God. And what does it mean for us? It means that our sins are as good as gone. As if they never happened. That's what it means that we have full forgiveness of sins. The law not only made us slaves to it, liable to be condemned for the guilt of sin, but also it was unable to remove the guilt and clear the conscience from the sense of terror of it. So it's not even just the actions that we're forgiven for, but even the sense of guilt of those actions. That's what it means for full forgiveness, full atonement. Can it be? Full atonement. Can it be? Certainly, it is in Christ. Christian, you have that atonement today through Jesus. Those unbelieving here this morning, you can have that atonement through Jesus. One that is not only cleanses every uh, one of our sins, but also has the, clear, uh, the power to clear and cleanse us from every shame of that sin that we ever felt. That's the effectiveness of Jesus' ministry. That's the potency. That's the power of Jesus' ministry as our advocate, as our mediator. That's what it means. That's why he's better. That's why he is the perfect high priest. Verse 13, let's finish this up. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. We all have these things, right? Right? So, cell phone? Who doesn't have a cell phone? Raise your hand right now. Um, Just joking. We understand. Like, I'm always, at least I was telling Micah, Cassie last night, and we're talking with my wife, and I, I'm always at least a generation or two behind, right? I never have a new thing, but in, and Apple makes it really difficult for me to um, even keep a certain device because eventually it just becomes obsolete. I can't use it any longer. And that's what he's saying here, right? This was good. This is serving me really, really well, right? Um, but eventually it's going to be obsolete because it's growing old, it's vanishing away. There is a new and better covenant that has come and taken the place of the old covenant. And I think we're like, okay, so what? I, don't, I didn't even know the old covenant. I wasn't alive then. But the point is, is this, is that both covenants can't exist together. 
Right? They don't, they don't coexist. Jesus came to not abolish it, but he did fulfill it. It's done. There's no reason to do anything with the old covenant any longer. And so, which one are you living in today? Is your life completely based around the rules of the old covenant that deal with our externals and say, what, what am I looking at? What am I doing? What are my hands doing? What am I abstaining from? These are all really important, but if you're missing the fact that your heart is not believing, your trust is not in Jesus, your faith is not in Him, then it gets you nowhere. It gets you nowhere, except for, honestly, Jesus tells us plainly, to death. It does not lead to the Father. Only Jesus leads to the Father. So where is your hope and your trust in Christ? Are you asking Christ, what are the motives of my heart? What are the motives? Jesus, my good advocate, tell me the truths. Tell me your truths. Spirit of God, come and remind me of what Jesus has told over and over in the Gospels. Come and remind me of what I know so that I might believe it, so that I might go from my head to my heart, so that I might live it, and I might not be caught up in just feeling good about doing the right thing, but I'd be caught up in knowing you, God. I'd be caught up in loving you as you love me. Let's pray. Father, you are a good, good God. You are a good Father. And we believe it today. We, as your church, are here today because we want to know you. Would you come? Reveal yourself to us in greater ways. Through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus, come and apply this again to our hearts this morning. Even as we take communion, may it be as if we're doing it for the first time, believing what you have done is sufficient, and understanding that these promises will never fade. They're good to the end. And we're banking on that, we're hoping in that. Put all our trust in you, Christ. Come and teach us, good teacher, how to be better Christians, how to put our faith in you in greater ways. Do this. May you be glorified in us, we pray. In Christ's name.